Ahoy there, this is the Ski Podcast in association with the Chill Factory, the Northwest Premier Ski and Snowboard Centre. And if you'd like to get 10% off your next visit to the Chill Factory, then use our exclusive code SKIPOD10, that's capital letters, SKIPOD10, put that in at the checkout. If you can't remember that, then you can go onto our website and check out the snow, uh, the show notes, not the snow notes, <laughs> although there will be notes on the snow there, um, for the episode. Uh, that's the skipodcast.com. Or if you're really forgetful, just send us a tweet at the Ski Podcast and we can remind you of the code. If you don't like Twitter, then you know Facebook could be the answer, so find us there. Or if you like, just email jim at the skipodcast.com or ian at the skipodcast.com and we will send you a personal reminder <laughs> of that voucher code. Ian is the co-host of the podcast and this is the little bit where I let him say hello. Hi, Ian. <laughs> hello, Jim. How are you going? Hi, I'm Jim Duncan. Um, most of today's show, well, some of the today's show, comes from the London Ski and Snowboard Festival, where Ian uh, will have been chatting to his famous ski mates, such as Graham Bell, Jamie Barrow, Shemi Olcott from Billy Morgan. We're also going to be talking about old, new and pretend snow. First of all, Ian, how was the camping at the ski festival? <laughs> the ski festival, yeah. Fortunately, I didn't stay overnight. My brother lives in London, so um, I didn't have to put up a tent in, in Battersea Park. But, you know, it was a good it was a good show. I, I, I can't really call it a festival as such, but then I wasn't one of the people who was there in the evening, you know, um, rocking to Sunset Suns, which, you know, quite a few of the people I spoke to said, oh, you know, I'm really looking forward to going to see them. So I guess they were the difference between a show and a festival. But for what I saw, up until seven in the evening, it was, you know, a very good but ski show like the last few years. Um, what free stuff did you get me? Yeah, I have got you a uh, pair of sunnies. You asked for some. Oh, yeah. I think they're from Paradiski. And um, Oh, yeah, my favourite ski area. Well, there you go. Are you allowed to say that, given that you're about to go to Lackalooza? I'm not commercially linked to any ski areas, should anyone want to uh, arrange that. Right, well, there you go. Um, Paradiski uh, sunnies, and uh, I'm going to wrap them in lots of uh, good bubble wrap and stick them in the post here. Well, thanks very very much, Ian. I, oh, I got another gift from you in the post the other day, actually. Oh, yeah. I got some um, stickers. Good, I'm glad they got to you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've got some ski podcast stickers. What am I meant to do with them? You're going to put them up in strategic locations in the Alps to prompt people. Like in chairlifts. Uh, chairlifts, bottom of cable cars are always good ones. People where people queue. I did quite a lot of this guerrilla marketing when I was uh, at Natives. So just a, a good way to remind people that there's an excellent ski podcast out there called The Ski Podcast. Um, was there anything at the ski show that um, was innovative that you you want to you saw that you think was amazing? You want to bring it to my attention? Uh, I can't claim that I saw anything amazing uh, <laughs> there. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Maybe I didn't look um, closely enough. Uh, so you know, I found out a lot more about the ski mojo. Um, have you ever heard of that? Um, Ski Mojo, is that the exercise bike that Graham Bell flogs? <laughs> no, it's not. Although I did find no. out, I did find out that he's not selling them this year because uh, they can't get them into the country. I don't know if that's a Brexit thing uh, or not. But no, he wasn't doing that. The Mojo is like a uh, um, a spring-loaded brace that goes over your knee if you've uh, had, uh, you know, an, an injury or maybe you're older and getting weak or you're just younger and want to ski for longer but anyway Jimmy Alcott was telling me about it and they had a stand there and in fact on the stand you had a thing where you could sit in the squat position and see how long you could stay in that position for and I'm delighted to tell you that I beat both my children well that's good yeah, did you beat Jimmy Alcott competitive though? dad uh, they are only 11, but uh, I have. Were you there tickling them under the armpits <laughs> when they're getting close to your time? No, it was a head to head. We all started at the same time. Alex dropped out first, then Isla gave way, and then um, actually she said, uh, You can stop now. So I don't know whether how far we'd have got, but I'm pretty sure that um, I wouldn't have challenged Chemi uh, uh, Alcott on that. Amazing stuff. Well, sorry I couldn't be that. Um, but let's talk about fresh snow first of all. Ian. Lots and lots of fresh snow. It's gone mental out there. Um, so much snow. There's been enough to ski on. Um, resorts are reporting meters and meters of snow. Um, there's more on the way. Um, is it enough for you, Ian Martin, to book a flight out there and catch some early powder? 
Yeah, I'm not sure I get carried away too, um, you know, too too much hyperbole in relation to the amount of snow. I mean, there is there is snow, and it's very good for early November. And what's really good about it is it's cold enough to have some, uh, you know, snow cannons on as well. You know, it's not. Uh, you know, maybe some resorts. I think in in Colorado they're doing pretty well. But in in Europe, there's more snow this week. It's very good. And you're asking me if it's encouraged me to book. Yeah, you know, actually, um, does look like um, I was thinking about going to La Rosière in December, and you know, now much more uh, optimistic, so I'm planning that trip in. Um, one of the resorts um, has opened early is Verbier. Yeah, um, and it's the earliest time they've ever opened. Um, uh, my friend Dave sent us a quick report oh, cool. about um, what it was like, which is quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Hi, Jims. Dave Burrows here from Snow Pro Ski School. I'm just on my way back down to Le Chab, uh from skiing in Verbier today on the 4th of November. Uh, I thought I'd give you a little snow update from the top. Um, we skied there. Uh, it was just like the Vaux that was open. Uh, only one lift at the top, I think, due to high winds. But uh, it was the skiing was pretty good. Um, there was a few rocks here and there. And actually, if you were prepared to skip under the rope uh, you could actually ski all the way back down to Medran but again it was a bit rocky so uh, it got some good early season skiing going here and, um, and and there were lots of people up there it was very very busy actually so uh, hope you're all doing well hope that bodes well for the season and uh, I'll see you soon Bye. so the moral is there Ian um, take your old skis I think is basically what Dave's saying if you're going to go quickly skiing in Verbier uh, over the next few days I'm not sure if it's going to stay open for very long I think it might just close and uh, reopen in the winter yeah, I think I read that they're planning to open just at weekends or one or two weekends. I mean, they got a lot of PR uh, out of that, and that's often, you know, the the rationale. Like the last few years, Courchevel have um, opened up for one day of free skiing early on, where they've had free parking and free lifts. And you know, a lot of these resorts are trying to kind of scoop all the others by being the first to open. But I think um, it always seems to me that that Courchevel one is just a publicity thing, and no one actually turns up. And well, Alex Irwin, who's reported for the uh, the pod on a number of occasions, and he was actually telling us gave us an update in uh, episode twenty three, our last episode. He normally goes out there, and you know you have to queue for that first lift, but it's pretty empty. He does live there, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's not just a publicity thing. People do people do go up and skip but most of the resorts who open early are doing it to uh, to get it in the records that they opened on this particular day or for example you know there is a bit of a within the three valleys Courcheval you know would be very keen to kind of be able to say oh they've opened earlier than than Valtorens for example which officially opens on the 17th of November this season so pretty near um, the only place in France that you can ski at the moment is um, Teen, um, but Chavigny is open. They've opened a lot more slopes than just at the Glacier um, and the Monte Rosa. And Glacier 3000, which is down, um, uh, I'm doing the naughty elephant, east end of uh, Lake Annecy area. They've opened this weekend as well, but they should be open for the rest of the season. Right. Um, it's not many resorts that can just open, though, is it, Ian? Like, you've got to have a fairly big infrastructure, I kind of feel, to just suddenly go, oh, we're going to open because there's some snow. Yeah, I mean, when they do open, they only normally only open, you know, one or two lifts and one or two runs. And if they've had the snow cannons on and a bit of snow, then they've got enough coverage. And you're right, not that many people go along. But you need to have the staff available. I mean, a lot of resorts, you know, just won't even have the staff in resort enough to operate two or three lifts and two or three beast bashes because it's all you know very seasonal um where do you get i'm interested in where do you get your um snow forecast information from what, what portal do you use to be honest with you, i i you know i'm seeing a lot of information the whole time so i see some on jt ski which i look at i look at uh, okay. i get updates um from you know where to ski uh, which is a pretty good site. I occasionally, if I'm going out to the Alps, I will look at uh, snowforecast.com, uh, which I think probably overall has, has the best info. See, I go for Wee Powder. I think they're a really okay. good one to use. Um, they only cover Europe. They've got um, good maps and good 14-day forecasting. Yeah. Um, you have to upgrade for a little bit of extra information, but that's who I use. And also, have you used um, Bergfex? I think that's how you pronounce it, Bergfex. <laughs> no. um, it's a good one. Um, 
they've got a good website and also a really good app and it also stores like um, the last seven days of webcams and stuff so you can flip through and see what's been developing as well as long term forecasts okay. I just thought I did you know I think they're quite good ones yeah I'll also. have a look at that I'll also look at um, you know Meteo France as well uh, and uh, you know the local tourist office websites when I know where I'm going because I think you know locally they tend to be you know, much more uh, accurate So, Ian, you've got some um, bike news, I believe. <laughs> some bike news. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I have. That was my enthusiasm for biking. Yeah, well, you know, you need to be fairly enthusiastic about it because it's the sort of coming fairly near your way. But no, in the last episode, episode 23, we talked about the Tour de France and how it all been leaked that there was going to be a, a stage finishing in Valterrand. And that you know, has officially been announced now, and it, it will happen. It was announced on the day, first day of the ski show that we were there, and there's going to be a stage starting in Albaville. It's going to go um, over Corme, the Rosaland, down to Borg Samaris, uh, along the uh, the valley floor to Moutier, uh, and then up to Les Minuire and finish in Valterrens. And that will be a pretty mighty uh, stage, um, for sure. A pretty testing one, and the last one before they... I think the last one before they go up to um, the Champs Elysees, so we'll decide who wins the, uh, the Tour de France at particular stage. There's another one as well, which is going to uh, uh, go across uh, through Montseny and over the Col de Lizaran, uh, down to Val d'Isère, and then up to Team. So that's also a pretty uh, a tough stage as well. So you know, quite a few ski resorts in the in the Tarentaise being included this year. Plus, there's a stage to the um, the Tourmalet in uh, in the French Pyrenees, in the uh, in Grand Tourmalet ski area. That's actually just between uh, La Mongie and Barège. Brilliant stuff. I mean, I would like to join in this conversation here, but I, I mean, I, I exhausted all my knowledge about it. Yeah, but you know, you're going to be in the Alps in the summer, uh, and not very far away from where they're passing. You can easily, uh, you know, drop down and watch them go past. And, you know, I highly recommend it. It, it. It's much better if you want to watch a Tour de France to go to one of the ski resorts and watch them come past there. Because when they're going up a slope, they're much slower and they tend to be spread out. But you could go, for example, they're going to go from um, Albaville, uh, then along the uh, the Gorge d'Arly. Um, pretty sure Gorge Dali or somewhere close to there to Beaufort. So they'll be near to Flume, which is where, which will be near to you. And you can watch them there. But early in the stage, when it's flatter, they're in one massive peloton and you still get the excitement and the, the build-up. But boom, you know, they're going to be all passed really quickly. It's much better to watch them at the end when they're knackered and slower. I was thinking maybe I'd just get on my own bike and just follow them. Well, you can. Sort of theoretically, you can actually do something like that because there's a stage called the Etape de Tour where people, regular members of the public can enter and have over 10,000 cyclists taking part and you can do that stage from Albaville to, to Val Terrain. So um, look up, uh, Google Etape de Tour and you can enter that. I shall dust off my single speed bike that I used to use in London when I was there. Yeah, that could be tricky. I'll be all right on that yeah, one. Yeah, give it a go. Give it a go. By the time by the time you finish the winter, your thighs will be so powerful you'll steam up, BT. That's it. I just do it in the reverse direction. Um, right, let's go back to the ski show. Ian's been talking so, to um, Graham Bell at the uh, London Ski and Snowboard Festival, and uh, I wonder if you could just tell us what's going on with uh, Ski Sunday uh, this year. Well, yeah, Ski Sunday, uh, BBC. Um, we've got seven shows, uh, pretty much the same as we've had for the last few years. Um, we've got the World Championships in Aura in Sweden. Okay. Uh, in February, so uh, we've basically got five shows prior to that. Uh, we're going to start with a World Cup in uh, Zagreb uh, to right. catch Dave Riding, uh. racing in the slalom out there. And then um, we probably do St. Anton, women's downhill. Hopefully, Lindsay Vaughan will be challenging for Denmark's record of 86 World Cup wins. How many more does she need she at needs, the moment? She needs four to equal the record okay. and five to beat it. Right. So, and you're picking that race because you think that's where she's going to do it. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. And also, St. Anton's a great place to go to. Yeah, I know you're a big fan <laughs> of uh, that resort. Yeah, and it's a great downhill as well with yeah. the ice fall. Uh, brilliant downhill course. And uh, yeah, then we've got Wengen, Kitzbühel, Schladming, and then we go off to the World Championships in Ori. Yeah. Okay. 
cool. Well, that sounds like a, a great winter. Uh, enjoy it. Um, so that's going to start on the 6th of January in Zagreb is um, the first episode. That's what he was saying there, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's. Uh, I actually forgot. I think I said in the last uh, episode or uh, somewhere that there is a World Championships going on this year. Obviously, no Olympics, but... Um, you know, his, I think the thing they're most excited about is the uh, the possibility of Lindsay Vonn, uh, or maybe almost certainty of Lindsay Vonn breaking Ingemar's Denmark's record for the number of World Cup wins. And, uh, you know, they're banking on it, uh, you know, happening. Their, their calculations are that it's going to happen while they're filming. So, OK, so the two big stories this winter is going to be, for us, um, uh, Lindsay Vaughan and then uh, the progression of Dave riding into into this season and if he can continue with uh, the momentum he built for the last two years. Yeah, plus all the freestyle uh, as well. I mean, obviously our freestylers, uh, uh, you know, there's some great skiers and that's where the medals came in the Olympics. So, uh, we'll be... But are we going to see more of that on Ski Sunday this year or are we better off just getting a £40 Euro um, sports subscription? Yeah... Are we going to see more of it on Ski Sunday? I doubt we'll see any more than we have seen. I mean, the format of it is is always that it focuses on a downhill or a slalom, um, pretty much. You know, it'd be much more interesting to have a, a focus on one of the uh, the freestyle competitions. But you know, who knows? Maybe maybe that will uh, change rather than it being that little extra segment. You know, they have in the program. I know which bit you mean. Like at the end, that's the kind of bit I kind of tend to catch up on. I, and if I don't watch the the program there and then, I tend not to really watch it, um, other than the little segment at the end on iPlayer. Yeah, I mean, you know, sadly, I'm the I'm the same. You tend to fur through um, all of the racing in, in until there's a crash and rewind slightly and watch that. And then you know, do the, the, the features <laughs> and the interviews are the most interesting thing about it. And it's such. A shame because I don't know if you recall, like a few years back, they had, I can't remember if it was a separate program or it was a within it. It was called High Altitude. Do you remember that? It was almost like a Top Gear yeah, format. Yeah, exactly. It? And it was really good, you know, and I, you know, really enjoyed that. And some great uh, features they had in it. But apparently, what happened was the controller of BBC Two changed and the new person, you know, didn't want to do that anymore and it got dropped. Yeah, it's a strange program. Like it's it's wonderful that it's on. I often wonder who it's really aimed at. Um, but you know, we we watch it, and you know, it's part of the winter ritual, isn't it? Uh, it is. There you go. It's part of that winter ritual for sure. Um, Jamie Barrow, you spoke to him as well. What did you talk to him about? Oh, you know, uh, Jamie, or you probably, if uh, listeners haven't listened to him, they should track back to episode four because you know that guy is just amazing. Really, he spends his whole life doing incredible, incredible uh, uh, kind of, I don't know if you call them stunts, but, uh, you know, what a life he's living. We talked to him about his trip to um, North Korea, but this winter he's he's on his way to uh, try and beat a few more, set a few more world records. I'm here with Jamie Barrow at the uh, London Ski and Snowboard uh, Festival. Uh, regular listeners will remember he was on our show back in, I don't know, about episode five, one of the really early ones. Uh, when he was talking about breaking uh, records and his trip to North Korea. And I believe you've got a few more records lined up that you want to break for uh, for this winter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm always looking for new projects to do and see how, how else I can go fast and different ways of going fast. So yeah. uh, I've got a, I'm going to be breaking at least three world records over in Dubai. That's confidence. You're yeah. going to break them, at yeah? At least, yeah, I'm going to. I'm okay. pretty confident I can. What are they? So the world records I'm going to break is firstly is the world indoor speed record. So at the Ski Dubai Centre they got there, they got one of the biggest ski slope, indoor ski slopes in the world. Yeah, okay. And they even have, around because it's round a bend, you've got down the inside corner, it's actually a black slope. Okay. It's one of the only black slopes in indoor okay. ski Okay, is it a bit steep? Sure. Is it a bit steeper? Yeah, then? so it goes, it goes slightly so is that is that the part of the course that you hope to hit the yeah, highest so speed? so I'm going to take a run in off the big thing and then I'll yeah. try to cut the corner where it goes steeper okay try to get that extra okay cool speed. and what are the other two then uh, and then the other two records are the downhill speed record on sand uh, oh yeah sandboarding straight down a hill on sandboarding okay uh, which I'll be honest I've done once before yeah uh, and it was a really crap little uh, sandboard that had that didn't really move at all but okay they're much better board for this 
yeah. and I'm hoping it's going to be quite similar. I mean, a little bit more resistant, so I'm never going to go as fast as you would do on snow. But okay. And a third record? Third record is similar to the one I did before on snow, but I'm going to do it on sand. So it's the fastest speed on a snowboard uh, while being towed behind a vehicle, but this time it's going to be the fastest speed on a sandboard while being towed behind a vehicle. So okay, are you, are you making up these record categories I'm as you go along? Much, so what I'm doing is I'm finding on Guinness World Records site, I'm just finding yeah. these speed records that have anything yeah. to do with boarding, and I'm trying to break as many as I can. Great, okay. Um, so and you get an interesting it. trip to Dubai out of it as exactly, well. Exactly. I'll, I'll be very interested to talk to you after to see like what that slope is like, Ski Dubai, because it's pretty big. Don't they have penguins there yeah, as they well? Do, yeah, so I've actually been there before. I haven't actually been in the ski slope, but I've been to the mall. Yeah. I didn't actually have a chance to go in the ski slope. But um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating place. Yeah, you get these small indoor ski slopes here in Milton Keynes. And, uh, so Hemp do you think that that's what they're lacking? Are they lacking penguins at Hermohempstead or uh, for Chill Factory? You know, yeah, they yeah. could do with uh, a little ice yeah, rink for exactly. with penguins on. I think they even have like the full on chalet huts and everything. In this okay. Thing. They have a chairlift inside cool. it. it's crazy well look forward to hearing how that goes and yeah. best of luck breaking all of those records if you Thank break them much. how many world records will you hold uh hopefully five i think yeah and we'll try to get even more this season we'll see nice one all right thanks a lot jamie so that was ian and jamie on a waltzer there must have been a right festival on a waltzer um <laughs> indoor speed records that's what he was basically talking about there um i've been to that snow dome have in you? Dubai. yes did you, i have did you that correct, didn't i yeah, I did go on there in the ski centre. It was interesting um, because no one has their own, their own ski kit. It was quite when it was really new when I went. No one had their own ski kit. So it was essentially 100 people going down this slope in identical clothing, which is the kind of weird thing I took away from it because everyone had the same higher right. stuff. And you're right, there are penguins there in there. Right. Are penguins, or there were. Yeah. I don't know if they're still alive. Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. So everyone wears the same kit. So is it? Is it... Probably it's probably changed now over time uh, but when we were first there that's, it, no one had their own snowboarding or skiing kit and it was just everyone was renting so everyone literally looked identical across the slopes right, okay. um, and slope itself it, it's reasonably long I think Jamie was saying that there's a, there's a separate track that you can get a bit more speed on yeah, there's a, a nice little fast section or steeper section. Um, you know, obviously, he's probably going to have the place to himself, which will be a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm going to say it's probably not as good as, you know, the chill factory in Manchester. That's, you know, <laughs> right. If I was pushed, Yeah, well, I think it, it, also, it feels like, you know, really, that surely there's something almost morally wrong with having a snow dome in the middle of a desert. It just doesn't seem right somehow not as not as morally wrong as having a giant massive fish tank in the middle of the desert that, is, that they had as well okay right next to it it's an impressive place like more of the emirates is you know it's an, it's an incredible building if you like shopping and malls and stuff like that i think a lot of people just go for the air conditioning um jamie also talked about it's going to go for a sandboarding record that's going to be tough i've tried sandboarding quite a few times and like you said the speed is hard to get on those sorts right. of things and catching an edge is a completely different experience to catching an edge okay. on snow because with snow you'll catch your edge and you may slide it'll hurt a bit but if you catch an edge on sand you're literally eating it for a week yeah and that's not really it's you know the sort takes... of thing i'd rather eat snow than sand given the choice absolutely totally it i mean takes quite a few days to pass through the system of sand <laughs> Yeah, a little more information than we needed there. Thanks. Sorry. Um, what about you, Ian? Are you going to try any um, Olymp- uh, world records? As uh, far as I remember, I don't have any world records uh, planned. But you, you never know. If I, can, if I can make this trip to Morocco happen, which, you know, still is unlikely but vaguely possible, maybe I can, you know, make up some kind of record I can set while I'm there. Have you tried crowdfunding it? I haven't, but that could be an idea. That could be an idea, yeah. For £1,000, you get to wear Ian's boots. Yeah. It could be the added extra. Yeah, no, probably that That probably won't work. But, you know, we, we, we'll see. Through. I'll keep my. I'll, I'll ask for the Guinness Book of Records for Christmas and uh, have a look through and see what's available. Oh, I've got an original copy. I've got the first one in my office behind me. Right. 
of the Guinness Book of Records. Yeah. Anyway, that's um, it's. Uh, I was thinking maybe I'll go for the slowest snowplow down the fast in Val d'Isere. That's probably quite a difficult one to beat as well. I would have thought. Yeah. I'm going to have a look. I'll give Norris McGuerta a call. Um, the reason I came up with that, Ian, is because we've got a report from Steve oh, yeah. Angus um, about stuff that's so going on. So actually, about, that's so. like a really clever link. Is that what you're telling me? Totes. Yeah. Nice. Um, for those people that uh, like their thrills, then the 3000 drag um, is once again reopening. Now, if you don't know where I'm talking about, you have to imagine you've gone up Celez Mountain and then you've gone on the Glacier Express chairlift. And near the top um, on the left, you can obviously see the Lesier, the up and over scare chair. And then just past that, um, sort of a neglected corner of the of the Slez area there used to be a drag lift that was open for many many years that uh, apart from powder days um, was generally um, not very well used but anyway this summer they are reopening it up which allows um, some a good options to uh, find some tucked away little bits of powder not the longest uh, powder stretches um, but certainly some tucked away little bits um, and then through the mountain there was um, a tunnel now uh, the tunnel um, run if you want to call it that um, affectionately known as that um, the um, the word from the, the town council is that is also going to open up as well so allow you to actually cross through to uh, the Fournay side of things, and get some pretty meaty, challenging uh, non-dame, so non-groomed um, piece down the backside there. But uh, both sides of that ridge, the Celez side and the Fournay side, will allow some um, pretty interesting and challenging, even by Valder's Air standards, uh, options. Um, so that is an exciting development uh, for this this coming winter. Well, thanks, Angus. Um, and Angus, if you're in a resort Angus, this winter... Steve, Steve Angus. Thanks, Steve Angus. Angus Steve. It's your own fault for having two names, like Ian Martin. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Steve. Uh, and if you're in a resort this winter, even now, and you'd like to contribute a story or an update to the podcast, then you can email me, uh, jim at theskipodcast.com, or send it to ian at theskipodcast.com, who then just forward it, who will then just forward it to me. Particularly if. You're in Austria. We'd really like to have, you know, I, I feel a kind of, I know more British people go skiing in France than anywhere else, but it'd be great to have a bit more Austrian uh, coverage. And that's not just a plea to Austrian yeah. tourist resorts to invite us out there, uh, but it'd be good to, you know, or Italy for that matter, although Jim's reported from uh, Italy and, and so am I, so that's probably not a very good comparison. Austria, you want people in Austria listening to this podcast, get in contact. Or Norway. Or Norway. We'll stop naming countries now, shall we? Poland. <laughs> Actually, I saw it snowed in Portugal this week, and you could ski there. I'd love to uh, hear what that's like. They've only got one ski resort, I think. Right. Well, it's open at the moment. We've got a new review. Oh, here. have we? That's good. Who's it from? Uh, it's um, from CJ Howie. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and it says, guys, I've just binged your entire back volume of podcasts while travelling through Europe. Hang on, have we had this review before? No, I before? don't think so. Good. And anyway, he wants to provide some delicious feedback. Um, I've really enjoyed the Alan Park-esque review section and conversations. I don't know what he means there. Um, always informative and at times very funny. That's a good line. That should go on the poster. Um, and always good when passing through passport control. Uh, and the lengthy security cues. So basically he's saying if you're bored, it's a really good listen. Uh, as a skier of 40 years based out in the snowy peaks of Oxfordshire, I was wondering if you could add a few extra sections to your podcast, and he provides a, a handy list and says, keep up the good work with the groovy music. Top carving. Cheers, Chris. Oh, his actual name's Chris. Hi, Chris. Thanks for the review. Yeah, thanks. And actually, I see on his list, one of the things he said is interview top skiers. Uh, so you know, we, yeah, we've done a few of those. Although they might want it in more in depth, we can look at that. And he said, you know, Norway. So we, we can. Well, we've started to tick that uh, already. So, um, but that's great, Chris. Thanks for the review, and thanks to uh, to everyone. That actually reminds me, while we're on the subject of reviews, that um, last episode twenty three, we had a review from Ski Morion, and uh, I foolishly said. Ski Morion was near Morzine, but obviously that's Montreal and not Morion. And I can't believe I made such a basic mistake. So um, apologies to Ski Morion, who are clearly in the Grand Massif. 
So let's talk about um, old snow now. Oh, yeah. I promise we've talked about new snow. Let's talk about old snow. Um, and specifically, let's go back to the three valleys. We're talking about Courchevel and the snow farming they've been doing. Specifically, they've been doing it for the Women's FIS World Cup Downhill, which happens on the 20th of December. I won't be on uh, Ski Sunday, that one. Um, so they've been doing quite a lot of snow farming, and it's been quite an interesting journey. I think they originally um, farmed or cultivated, not cultivated, collected 700,000 cubic feet of yep. snow. Uh, our friend um, Alex Irwin, who lives out in Courchevel, um, went and looked at it on his um, on his 150 Days of Winter YouTube channel, and I watched that video. It was quite interesting. Um, he climbed up there, he was a bit out of breath. Uh, he estimated that they've lost about 50% of it. Um, I read another article that said they hoped to keep 75% um, of it, and um, 30% is considered successful of a loss. If they lose 30%, that's a success in most places. And it's quite interesting. Yep. I've looked at the I looked at the webcam as well. So I went on. It's on the Stade de Slalom. So I looked on the webcam in April, and I looked on um, the webcam in yesterday, and compared it. And I'd say that Alex's estimate is probably pretty close. Um, I've also I cut and pasted a picture of it and put it side by side. And if you want to look at that picture, you can go onto my um, website, Snow Comparison, or Snow Compare, as I like to call it. I like that. Is there really a website called Snow Compare? No. There is a website called Snow Compare, but it's some people outside Birmingham who are um, okay. saying a ski holiday. But sorry, when you another generic ski holiday website. But yeah, I've got the photos. I'll, I'll give you the photo, Ian, so you can put it onto the show notes. Right. Yeah, okay. But have they uncovered it? I wasn't... No, it's still covered up. I think they might have had a sneaky peek. You know, like if you baked but, a cake, you have a look. Tell, how can you tell if it's still covered how much snow is left underneath? Well, because it's a massive... Right. It's like a sheet. So if you put um, an ice cream, blob of ice cream, under a hanky... <laughs> yeah. Hold on, hold on. I'll do that now. I'll do it, that now. Let me and it melted. Right, OK. Yeah. <laughs> but as, yeah. it, as, as it melts, you can see how much... The volley, you know, it's not still a block of icing, it's a dribble of water, isn't it? And obviously that water will snow, um, seep into yeah. the ground. Am I meant to have put it on the floor or on the table or on a plate? It doesn't matter, does it? If it melts, the vol the, the shape is going to disappear, isn't it? Yeah, no, I know where you're coming from. Well, um, yeah, I wonder... I mean, the, I don't think it would have cost them very much to do because they basically put a load of insulated panels over it and then covered them with tar tarpaulin, right? Well, Kitzbühel do it, and they um, managed to extend their season quite, um, you know, quite quite successfully by doing it. And they say it only cost them about one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars to do it each year. Only one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. That sounds like a lot. Uh, Whoa. Depends if you're. Uh, I mean, a lot of people go skiing in three valleys. I'd imagine one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars is quite a reasonable price for a large ski area to pay, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I mean, the fact is that so you know that um, to to host a World Cup event, which is a principal reason they've done it. You know, with uh, uh, that World Cup event coming up fairly early in the season in December. It's such terrible PR for any resort if they ever have to cancel a World Cup event because they don't have enough snow. So the value there of making sure that you're going to have enough snow in all um, situations is, you know, is extremely high. Well, I think they're lucky because there's a lot of snow up on uh, the Salur bucket looks, so they can probably bring some in because it has shrunk quite a lot. And the the amount they um, uh, harvested what was it seven seven hundred thousand I said it was yes that's enough for um, a fifty centimeter wide six kilometer run with ten centimeters of snow on it so if they've lost yeah. 30, uh, seventy percent of that how did you how did you work how did you work that out did you actually do maths on that on the back of an envelope did you read that uh, I did someone told me that it was enough to cover um, fifty um, football pitches so I had to google how long a football pitch was obviously right that's good I, I mean so, so more easy, more it? relevant is you don't need a six kilometer slope do you if you're running a uh, a world cup downhill you need a slope that's 
I don't know, probably 500 metres long or something like that at the most. So, uh, so therefore, plenty of depth uh, available there. So snow farming, I think the conclusion will be when it's revealed that if you're holding a World Cup event in December, it's worth spending you know, 100 plus thousand pounds to guarantee that you're going to have snow there, particularly for somewhere like Courchevel, which is going to be hosting the World Championships in 2022. So, you know, they really need to prove that they're, uh, uh, you know, a top quality uh, uh, racing resort. I wonder if we'll have to pay copyright on that. Ian. I was right. That um, was the reason you were meant to join in then, uh, you know, and go, no, no, no. Anyway, there you go. Oh, do do do! I got kicked off my singing course when I was young, so I, I, I won't join in. I wouldn't want to ruin what you've done. Um, the reason Ian's singing that is because um, it's been fifty years exactly um, since um, the filming was underway on the iconic James Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Roger Moore is um, is not my favourite Bond, but my favourite Bond sequence about skiing is uh, from um, The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. So that's the one he was wearing, the yellow, yeah. the yellow yeah, all-in-one suit. Yeah. And it was basically him on a, a, a screen behind him. He didn't really do any skiing. Well, there was someone doing skiing. It might not have been him, but he has the ski pole that you can fire from. Uh, and then you have that iconic moment where he skis over the cliff and uh, his parachute has a Union Jack on it, which has been, you know... Not... And basically invents base jumping. Indeed, he invents base jumping. And, you know, Ski Sunday's opening credits that they have at the moment, you know, has a huge kind of nod to that in the uh, in the opening sequence. See, I always preferred um, The View to a Kill ah. when he ends up um, snowboarding yeah. on a, an abandoned or blown-up skidoo plate. Yep. Um, maybe that's what inspired me to become a snowboarder when I was younger. Yeah, I mean that was good. They were, and then it's very, un, it's a very un James Bond though, because it's really serious. And then suddenly the Beach Boys just um, come in, doesn't it? <laughs> Is that well? I don't know how serious it was. I think snowboarders, you know, proper snowboarders, didn't like it, um, but uh, they were tapping into the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, you are listening to The Ski Podcast with Jim Duncan and Ian Martin, and we are supported by The Chill Factory, uh, the North West's premier ski and snowboard centre. Uh, let's go back to the Snow and Ski Festival. Is that right, Ian? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's close enough, yeah. <laughs> good. You were chatting to Billy Morgan this time. Yeah, that was good. Let's go. So I'm here with Billy Morgan here at the London Ski and Snowboard uh, Festival. Um, I listened to a really interesting podcast uh, a little while ago with Matt Barr. Matt Barr. Yeah, very, very detailed one. We aspire to him because, as you may know, uh, I run the uh, skipodcast.com, which we're going to run this on. And one of the things I found really interesting in that was you talking about your uh, gymnastics background, mm-hmm. and particularly it was an acro background. Yeah, I was yeah. An yeah, that my daughter does acro uh, right. gymnastics, a bit so, different from the artistic side yeah, of things. Yeah, true. Did you do a lot of tumbling? Is that what you were yeah, doing? Yeah, well, a bit of tumbling. I kind of I was a gymnast from like four till six, and then I started acro. Right. Um, did that for eight years or so. Yeah. And were yeah, you in time. like a team or pairs or? Mentor. Right. Okay. So, yeah, two bases, middle and a top, forming a floor routine. Yeah. Doing stunts and stuff. Yeah. Right. Cool. And how did that transition to snowboarding come Basically about? Basically, the then? aerial awareness that I got from all that acro stuff yeah. transferred across the snowboarding real easy. Um, when I'm upside down on my snowboard, I feel comfortable. Right. Where I guess others don't like feel so comfortable. Yeah. And obviously, you developed a lot of balance uh, from that as well. Yeah, you kind of develop all that core strength, and you know, as you would training in any sport, it's all quite transitional. Yeah. Also, do you take those skills through to uh, to balancing the GB uh, flag? Then there you go. See? <laughs> no, you've got to think about these things before you do it. Yeah, all that, that training was worth it. I knew I had to balance that flag yeah. in at some point. That was uh, that was um, obviously not your highlight of the games, but uh, you know, that was a, a standout moment I think for a lot of spectators. It was pretty funny. Yeah. I got asked a lot, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to watch the waving technique and things like that? So I don't, I don't, I've never thought about it before, so and I just freestyled it. Yeah, he was a very hard man to track down because he was like super busy 
And uh, while he was at the show, he was talking to his ghostwriter because he's looking at bringing out a, uh, well, I guess an autobiography. Who's his ghostwriter? Can you reveal? No, that? I can't reveal that. He just told me that that's why I've been, why I've been, why why he'd missed our our first appointment for an interview, and eventually I just um, got hold of him right next to the slope after he'd uh, done a jump. But uh, yeah, he's busy. I was interested in that Ian because normally the big names don't go off that jump, and I can understand why looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean he actually found it uh, quite uh, tricky, but you know he's a really nice guy, and he's not he doesn't have a huge uh, ego, and I think. You know, I don't know who's it's probably his agent has suggested to him about uh, the the autobiography. But you know, he's an Olympic uh, medal winner, and uh, therefore there'll be a lot of people interested in finding out how about his journey and his flag um, balancing. Maybe it could be Shally Girl Part Two, Shally Boy. Yeah, because if there's a film that needs a sequel, <laughs> it's not that one. No. So uh, last winter, I enjoyed watching Ski Sunday the whole time, and uh, one of the episodes I enjoyed the most last uh, season, I think it was probably the end of the season, you had a head-to-head parallel yes, slalom did, race yeah. against Graham Bell, yeah. and I think there was probably a lot of uh, riding on that, but uh, you came out the winner uh, in that one, and I know you're both very uh, competitive. Very competitive, yep. Yeah, I wondered how, uh, how it felt, you know, being able to prove that the girls can be uh, faster than the boys and uh, how it felt to beat your uh, co-presenter. Oh, I mean, it was such a fun race. I think Graham actually proposed the idea to the producer, maybe, you know, <laughs> to put me down a little bit, shut me up a bit. Um, and I was petrified. I was right, really okay. nervous. So for like three nights before the race, I didn't I didn't sleep. In Graham's defence, the day before, he had to go and do links. And I thought, oh, I'll just go and free ski up there. Right. And there was this course that was oh, set. Okay. So I did get a little bit of prep. Right. So I did a bit of training. Um, but it was so nerve-wracking. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't done anything physically demanding since I'd had my son I put okay. all these excuses out there obviously Graham's a bit older than me yeah. um, but we are both downhillers but um, it was very interesting to see that he's really comfortable on downhill skis but those short sharp slalom turns he didn't really have it in him anymore okay. but I, I thought it was going to be closer so I was so nervous yeah um, which is why I was so excited when okay I well it was it was great very entertaining yeah. presumably he said uh, when he got the bottom more best of three did he or something like that no he took it really <laughs> Well, I think right. I think that's most people are mostly disappointed in the aftermath of the event that Graham wasn't bitter and angry about right. it and trying okay. to pull out excuses. Yeah. He took it really well. I think he was surprised that he wasn't faster and I was that fast. Yeah. Um, I think we both thought it was going to be closer, but it was um, no, it was a great it was a great fun event and it was quite intimidating. There were like ten thousand in the crowd watching, ready for the <laughs> I world. I didn't know Cup. that. Right. Okay. And I was just like, okay. Cool. So our egos are on the line. Yeah, excellent. That's really good. Thanks for your time, no uh, Chemi. That's you. been uh, really good. Thanks and, you know, all the best for this winter with uh, your pregnancy and the heli ski trip. Yeah. And every, we'll look out for you on the, on the ski Sunday and the BBC. You. So that Thanks. was Ian. I was going to say that you were flirting with a, a, a pregnant Chemi Olcott there and I didn't, didn't feel right saying that. And then I thought, why can't, you sh- why can't you flirt with pregnant people? And then I just stopped writing that link. And now I've said it. Ian, how was that interview? Oh, you know, Chemi uh, is great. That, you know, she has a huge amount of personality. And uh, I interviewed her for uh, um, another client, um, James Orhelly Ski, because she's going on a trip with him uh, later on. And, uh, you know, I think that was actually part of that uh, interview. Hopefully it'll appear in the Telegraph. But I found it really interesting, that uh, head-to-head between them. Did you watch it when it was on Ski Sunday? Uh, yeah, I did. I remember it. They were all quite. They were genuinely quite nervous. Well, about it. evidently she was. I mean, I didn't realise she was that nervous, but evidently she was. You know, really nervous about it, and uh, I found it really interesting to get the, the the inside story on how that came about. Um, the main question, though, Ian, I want to know is: Does Shemi Olcott put her hands in her straps when she uses her poles? Gosh, I cannot believe I forgot to ask that question. Oh, yeah, Ian. next time. Now, you obviously know that we are sponsored by the Chill Factory in Manchester. One of the things I wanted to know when they said they were going to sponsor us is how they make the snow and how they look after it. We spoke to a couple of the guys who are in charge of that. Hi, my name is Richard Green. I'm Director of Operations here at Chill Factory. I've worked here for just over three years now. 
Um, I'm responsible for all of the operational team. I'm Luke Penrose, I'm the facilities manager here at Chill Factory. I've been here for just over two years. The quality of the snow is absolutely critical to what we do here. Um, it's what our guests come to enjoy. It's what distinguishes, distinguishes us from uh, the dry ski slopes that are around and about. We make it snow every night um, and the maintenance team take a lot of care and attention in making sure that all of the details that deliver great snow uh, are done. The snow quality is, uh, is defined by several things. So the guest satisfaction is one. Um, the, the quality of the surface um, is another um, and the quality of the what we refer to as the hard pack underneath is, is the, the other factor. Um, all of those things are combined together uh, to produce the, the best quality that we can. We actually produce fresh snow um, as nature intended so we, uh, we combine compressed air and water um, to produce real snowflakes we produce uh, just under nine and a half tons of fresh snow every day. Um, we can ease back. We can uh, make more, make less, uh, depending on on our demand. We we have a challenge in so far as Chill Factory being the largest uh, slope in the UK. Um, it's also the only slope that's suspended. Um, so we have some structural uh, challenges to to meet as well. So not only do we have to maintain the quality of the snow, we also have quite a significant challenge to maintain the depth of the snow. Um, obviously, the weight of uh, the snow and the structure um, introduces extra challenges to that equation as well. So we balance all of those things out. and We have a, a maintenance team that looks after the snow during the day. and We have a, a groomer-driver team that look after the, the snow at night. Um, we produce snow for around four hours a day um, and we groom for those four hours as well so it takes four hours approximately 12 kilometers a night of, uh, of driving to, to get over that surface area and produce immaculate snow every day uh, interesting fact if if you were to melt all of the snow in the in the snow box um, and then try to reproduce that it would take just under three months to reproduce the volume of snow that we have um, so the the, the snow that you see on the surface is just a, a minor part of that. It's around about 50 mil of what we would consider to be fresh snow on the surface. That's So when you're skiing down the slope, uh, that's the stuff that you see sort of flying off from the skis. Underneath that, we have another 400 millimetres of, uh, of snow, which is compressed into what we'd consider to be a hard pack. So the, the sort of the base layer around about 100 mil to 200 mil is, is real solid, almost ice. Um, and then you've got a, a hard pack of compressed snow on top of that. And then you've got a sort of a 50 mil layer of fresh powder on top of that. Depending on what time of the day you come, you'll experience different conditions. So if you visit first thing in the morning, um, the snow will have been rested for six hours, uh, having been groomed uh, around midnight the night before. Uh, and it will be pristine, it will be um, ridged, super smooth, um, crisp on top uh, and a, a perfect skiing surface. Later on in the day, after being used extensively by a, a whole bunch of our guests, um, it's more likely to be what we call variable conditions. So we maintain an average ambient temperature of around about minus three to minus four, which takes a lot of effort. There's a whole series of blast coolers that run along the main gantry, so they regulate the temperature throughout the day, um, and they're used to drop the temperature to, uh, to around about minus seven, minus eight when we when we actually produce snow. And the snow quality itself does degrade over time, so the snow crystals um, change shape; they start to round. Um, um, if we if we don't act on that, the snow starts to become. Um, slushy, deep, it tends to lose its bonding and so uh, it's important that from time to time we push the old snow out of the building as well. So the new snow is falling every night, we make that and then we push the old snow out of the building and you, 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 you can see that it starts to get a bit grey sometimes um, whereas the new fresh snow is white. Um, on, a, on a peak day uh, our capacity is 220 on the, on the main slope and you can have 220 people every hour of, of the day that we're open. All of those people coming from outside to inside bring all sorts of things in with them 
uh, so the dirt on their shoes, the dirt on their boots, the boards, the, the wax, all of those those particles um, get into the snow. And any any I refer to it as contamination, but it's um, it's it's only something other than water um, and air that raises the, the, the temperature of the, the whole snowpack which means that we have to work harder to, to then refreeze that snowpack so we regularly scrape all of that off the, uh, the top layer we have a designated melt pit area um, outside the, that we, we push all of that snow into so uh, a, another stat for you uh, we produce nine and three quarter tons of snow an evening on a peak day we can lose up to 15 tons of, of snow just on, on skis and boots and people exiting the building um, along with temperature um, and humidity so it's, it's a very fine balance in terms of maintaining the quality of the snow and maintaining the volume of the snow to, to provide that environment. Right, so we're pretty much close to wrapping up now, Ian. Um, just quickly, have you started reading A Wall of White for the Yeah, I finished it, actually. Oh, right, I better get cracking yes. then, I? I mean, I've read one. I've, I'm on chapter three. I'm okay. quite enjoying it. Um, it, gets, it gets a lot better, so, I think. You know, obviously, when... It gets a lot yeah, better. Yeah, there's no spoilers to say that when the avalanche happens, that's really when it kicks in. What avalanche? <laughs> yeah, you didn't read the, bl- the blurb, did you? No, just went straight in. Um, right. Okay, so everyone, thank you very much for listening. Um, don't forget to share the podcast with your skiing mates. Um, what about this, Ian? Should we do a free sh- shout-out to ski companies who tag or share their podcast on their Facebook page? Oh, yeah, page? okay. Yeah, I'm game for that. All right, then. So if you share us on your Facebook page and tag us, we'll give you a free shout-out on the podcast. We've got lots of listeners, you know. Um So that's everything. Thanks very much, Ian. I hope you enjoyed the ski show. I enjoyed hearing about it. And we'll chat to you next time. Okay. Cheers, Jim. You have been listening to The Ski Podcast, hosted by Ian Martin and Jim Duncombe. Jim edits it. Ian looks after the website. It's quite fair, I think. You're going to agree. Um, if you would like to chat to Ian online, you can go to at Skipedia on Twitter or you can find me on Instagram at The Average Skier. We are sponsored by the Chill Factory, the Northwest Premier Ski and Snowboard Centre. And if you want to have 10% off your next ski trip there, use the voucher code SKIPOD10 at the checkout when you book your ticket online.